today we are launching our Advent series called Light of the World. This is the series that leads us all the way into Christmas. This is going to take us all through the next several weeks, through Christmas Eve, and then into Christmas morning. Um, I won't give away my Christmas morning um, admonition, but it's going to have to do with light, and it's going to have to do with you, and it's going to have to do with being. So it's going to have to do with you being the light. I think I just gave it away. So anyway... um, <laughs> so let's take a moment, let's still our hearts now, and let's prepare to launch this series to open the Word of God to hear what God has to say uh, about being the light to us. Let's take a moment and pray. Father, we love you. We love you, love you, love you so much. And we're grateful to be uh, in your house today here at U City, at Shaw, online. We're just grateful, Lord, to be worshiping. We pray, Lord, that you would be the light, our light and our salvation. Uh, whom shall we fear? We pray, Lord God, that you would invade our hearts, invade our minds, invade these spaces that we have gathered, and let your, your, your spirit shine the light of truth into our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. So my, my in-laws have been in town for the last couple of weeks. They just left a few days ago. They've been in town for a, a couple of weeks. And a, few, a couple of weeks ago, one morning, I got up really early in the morning. I'm an early, early bird. I'm an early riser. I got up in the morning. It was still dark in the house. It was quiet. And I didn't want to wake anybody up because I didn't want to wake my wife up because she had been up for many, many nights taking care of kids with snotty noses and sniffles and coughs and wheezes and all that stuff. So she was very tired. I didn't want to wake my kids up. They needed their sleep. I didn't want to wake my in-laws up just because I didn't want to because they're California time. They needed more rest. I didn't want to wake my dog up because he starts running around the house. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to just leave the lights out, and I'm just going to ease downstairs. I'm just going to get my day started. So I got my robe on. I was looking for my slippers. Couldn't find my slippers. That's okay. I'm just going to ease on down. So I start walking down the stairs. I've got my, I've got my robe on. It's dark. I'm quiet. Everybody's quiet. It's nice. I'm going to get my coffee. I'm going to get my Bible. I'm going to have a little morning with the Lord. It's going to be so good. Walking down the stairs. I get to the landing, the wooden landing, and, I, and I'm walking down the landing, and then something happens that was very unfortunate, very, very unfortunate. You see, my children, who are amazing and beautiful, wonderful, lovely, and delightful, incredible children, amazing kids. I love them so much. One of them left a little toy on the wooden floor of the landing. Maybe, you, maybe you've seen something like... It's just a little toy. It's just a little toy. But you see, it's dark. And I had no shoes on. And I had no socks on. And I didn't see our little friend on the landing. And so I took a step. And the full weight of my 5 a.m. morning body, barefooted, comes down on our little Lego friend with a little flaming sword. I don't know if you've ever stepped on a Lego at 5 o'clock in the morning in the dark. I don't know if you've ever done that. I don't know if you've ever felt that pain. There's childbirth. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. Sorry. Okay. Sorry. Okay. 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 All right. Okay. Sorry. I went too far. But the pain radiated through the sole of my feet, up the calf, up the thigh, up the back, through the top of the skull. And I didn't want to shout because, as I said, I wanted people to be able to sleep. I didn't want to wake people up. But the shout welled up inside of me. 
it actually came out as a whimper as I crumbled onto the floor, just falling apart, right? It was a small thing, you see, but there are hazards in the dark that can only be revealed by the light. There are hazards in the dark that can only be revealed by the light. You go to the dentist's office, there's going to be a bright, bright light right above the dentist chair, and they're going to bring that light right down and they're going to flick it on it's going to shine real bright in your in your mouth why because there are hazards in the dark that can only be revealed by the light if you go into a medical facility uh, an operating room you'll find a huge light right over the operating table and if somebody's getting an operation or a procedure they're going to flick that light on why because there are hazards in the dark that can only be revealed by the light when I take my kids camping, we have headlamps. We all have our own headlamps. I ordered them all on Amazon. So that we're walking out through the, through the and I say kids because my wife doesn't go camping with us anymore. She just, she boycotted our camping trips. But, but, but when we go on these trails, we have to have headlamps on. Why? There are hazards in the dark that can only be revealed by the light. And just as there are hazards in the physical world, there are hazards in the spiritual world. There are hazards in the dark recesses of our hearts, in the dark recesses of our souls that can only be revealed by the light. Now, when it comes to hazards in the physical world, generally, we want them to be revealed. I would have strongly preferred to have the Lego revealed before stepping on it. If I've got cavities in my mouth, I want the dentist to find them. I want them to go, oh, there's a hazard. Why? Because it needs to be revealed in order to be removed. I want them to go, okay, there's something wrong. I'm going to get that out of there. If I've got cancer in my body, I want that to be revealed so it can be removed. But for some reason, when we have hazards in our soul, the darkness of mankind, the hazards that are hidden in the darkness of our hearts, we don't want them revealed. We don't want them revealed. Things are falling down now, man. We're just... We, we don't want those hazards revealed. And the reason we don't want them revealed is because unlike the hazards in our body, the hazards in our souls make us feel like the hazard is not something that happened to us or something that we did. We feel as if the hazard is us. In other words, when we do something wrong, sometimes we don't feel like we did something wrong. We feel like we are wrong. Or if something was done to us that is wrong, sometimes we don't feel like something was wrong to us. We feel like something is wrong with us. Hazards are two. What do you, when I talk about spiritual hazards, I'm talking about two things, basically. Things, wrong things that have happened to us, right? Someone harmed us. Someone hurt us. Abuse, dehumanization, some kind of betrayal. Someone lied to us. Someone hurt us. Someone stung us. Something bad happened to us. Right? That can become a hazard in our soul, and we don't want to reveal it. We hide it. We conceal it. We don't let other people know about it. The other kind of hazard is the hazard that we do, the wrong that we do, either towards ourselves or towards someone else or towards God. A sin, some kind of, uh, of, of wrong that we do, lying, cheating, stealing, whatever it is. Something that we do that's wrong that we don't want revealed, a, a destructive pattern, a destructive habit. Some hazard that we have done and committed that we want to conceal. And I'll give you three reasons why we conceal them. The first one is pride. How many of you know somebody? 
You don't have to look at them, okay? How many of you know somebody who, if they would be willing to reveal the issue that they've got, and you know what the issue is, and you think they might know what the issue is, but, but, but if they would just reveal it, they could get healing, but they're too proud to get help. Does anybody know anybody like that? Everybody, nobody raised their hand, but everybody groaned. Everybody said, mm, yeah. We all know, I know a thousand people. As a pastor, I know a thousand million people, including myself from time to time, who, who there's something going on in my life or their life, and I don't want to reveal it because I'm too proud. I'm too proud because if I reveal it, then people will think something about me. And I want them to think that I'm invincible. I want them to think that I have no problems. I want them to think that I'm great and everything is gravy for me, right? But if they know there's something wrong, then they're going to go, maybe there's something wrong with you because I've identified this as me. Okay? So pride. Pride. In fact, it, when, when Eve ate of the, of, of, the, of the fruit, it was because the serpent said, you will be like God and know good and evil. It was pride that led to the first hazard. It was pride. That's the first one, pride. The second one is fear. We do not reveal the hazards in our soul because we are afraid to reveal them. We are afraid of what will happen if we allow people to know the bad things that have happened to us or the bad things that we have done. We are afraid. In fact, we see this in the very first story of the first book of the Bible. In Genesis chapter 3, the woman eats of the fruit. She gives it to Adam. He eats. The Lord starts to move in the garden, and he says, Where are you, Adam? Where are you, Adam? And listen to the very first thing that Adam says. He says, I heard you in the garden, God, and I was what? I was afraid. Fear caused him to hide the hazard. It was fear. And it's, and it's, and it's, and it's, it's kind of pitiful because it's, it's kind of like the kid that with the way they hide is they cover their eyes. Like hiding behind a bush is not going to conceal you from God. God will find you, right? But because they, had a, they, they committed a sin, they were afraid of the consequences of the sin, and so they hid. But the problem is you cannot remedy the wrong if you will not reveal the wrong. We hide because we're, we want to diminish it. We want to make it go away. We, we wrongly think, we misapprehend the idea that if nobody else knows about it, maybe it will just go away. But God says, no, I, what, what's going on? And Adam says, I was afraid. Why were you afraid, Adam? This leads us to number three, shame. So there's pride. There's fear. This is why we don't reveal the hazards in our own hearts. And then there's shame. If you look at closely at what Adam said in the garden, it's fascinating. He says this. He said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because, he said, I was naked. I was naked, so I hid. What does he mean? Naked means exposed. It means revealed. It means that there's, that he's, everything about him is, is visible. And he says, I was naked. It's, it's, it's a reference to shame because in a few verses before this, uh, the, the scripture actually says Adam and Eve were naked and they were not ashamed, meaning they had nothing to fear. They had nothing to hide. And, and this is the very first emotion we see human beings have in the scripture, shame. Because when we, when we do something wrong, we're flooded by this, this idea that we're, we didn't just do something wrong, we are something wrong. That's what shame is. It's that terrifying, you know, uh, paralyzing feeling of moving from, man, I I'm, I'm, I'm did something wrong, to, man, there's something deeply, deeply wrong with me. He said, I was, I was afraid because I was naked, I was, and I didn't want to be exposed. And God responds and says, 
Adam, who told you? Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? God knows, right? He knows that this is our nature, that when we do something wrong, when there's a hazard in our heart, a hazard in our soul, a sickness, a disease, an issue, something that's inside of us that either happened to us or something that we did, we are ashamed and we hide and we conceal. And God says, this is not the plan that I have for you. This is not what I want for you. Because when we do this, this, these are the reasons why. Pride, shame, and fear, right? Pride, fear, and shame. But what happens? Because there are consequences to concealment. There are consequences when we hide. I'm going to give you three. The three consequences are confusion, captivity, and crisis. When we hide, when we hide the hazards of our soul, Confusion, captivity, and crisis. Let me give you the first one, confusion. There's a term called anisognosia in psychology. Uh, anisognosia is a fascinating word. The letter A means not. Noso means disease. And nosia, G-N-O-S-I-A, means knowledge, like Gnostic, like agnostic, right? Anisognosia. It means no knowledge of the disease. There's a condition that sometimes people will have where they... They are very, very sick, but one of their symptoms is that they have no knowledge, no insight that they are sick. In other words, they are a person who says, uh, other people are telling me I'm sick, but I am not sick. There's nothing wrong with me because they have no knowledge of it. And this is a terrible, terrible symptom that sometimes people have because if you don't know you're sick, if you don't believe you're sick, you won't go to the doctor, you won't get help, right? And so, so people with anisognosia don't get treatment for the very issue that's causing, causing their lives so much pain. A lot of times we can develop spiritual anisognosia. In other words, we can, when we've hidden long enough, when we've concealed stuff for long enough, we go through a state of denial, a state of willful ignorance, and, and, and we get to this state of ana, spiritual anisognosia where we just really believe there's nothing wrong. I can attest to this. There were many years where I was not a believer. And when I was not a believer, my heart got to a point at, in my youth where evil didn't seem evil to me and good didn't necessarily seem good to me. I would not be able to say, yeah, that's right and that's wrong. Because why? Because I had spiritual anisognosia. There's confusion about what's right and what's wrong. Right? And, and that it's very distressing because if you don't know something's wrong, you're not going to go get help. The, the, sec, the second one is captivity. Captivity, what, what do you mean by captivity? I mean, I don't mean physical captivity, right? I, I mean spiritual captivity. I mean that your life will not flourish when there, are, when there are hazards hidden in the recesses of your heart that you will not reveal. It's spiritual captivity. You're trying to move forward, and yet you keep getting held back. Apostle Paul talks about this. He says, the thing that I'm trying to do, I'm trying to do good, and then I, I don't do good. And I'm trying to, to not do evil. The thing that I hate to do, sometimes I do. And I'm stuck because I keep trying to move forward, but I keep falling backwards. The other day when, when, when it got cold in St. Louis, I, I, I was trying to heat up our house. And so I had the temperature set at like 71, which is a, a totally normal heat level right for the house it's a good one and, and I but it was cold in the house so I took it to 72 still cold 73 still cold 74 I'm like what is the matter I knew the heat was coming out but it wasn't cooling it wasn't heating up the house and then I discovered that on the second floor there's another thermostat and that was set on an air conditioner at like 62 degrees okay 
So I had a compete, I had a competition between bottom floor and top floor. And I couldn't heat up the house, right? So I couldn't, I couldn't go the direction that I wanted. This is what, this is what happens to us. We try to strive forward, but something keeps holding us back. And it's because we're captive by the hazards in our own heart. When you, when you learn about David and Saul in the Bible, all of us just assume, some of, some of you who understand and grew up with church, you know, like King David, we just love David. Everybody loves David. He wrote the Psalms. He's just this great guy. But, you know, we could have felt that way about King Saul. He was the first king of Israel, and he was a, he was a great king. He, he started off great, and then he kind of started to go bad. But, but it's not like Saul was bad and David was good. If you just read through Chronicles and read through Kings, David was a mess. He was a complete mess. He was, he was as bad as Saul and in some cases even worse. So you go, wait a minute, what in the world's going on? Well, there was one difference. Saul would not reveal the darkness of his own soul. He kept trying to justify and rationalize and he kept hiding and concealing. And finally God said, man, I cannot use you if you will not admit the wrongs that you have committed. Now, David committed all kinds of problems and all kinds of sins. But he had this heart to go, ah, I've messed up. I need your help. Here's the shine the light of your truth into my heart and change me. Reveal what's inside of me and transform me. In fact, one of the Psalms that I love, Psalm 32, he says this. When I kept silent, when I wouldn't let anybody know what was going on with me, when I kept trying to conceal and hide my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. I felt oppressed. I couldn't move. I couldn't breathe. My strength, he said, was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you. And I did not cover up my iniquity. I revealed it. I let the light shine. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. I mean, just liberty happens when you go, okay, let the light shine in. I said there was confusion and there was captivity. The third one I said was crisis. So, some of you may know, some of you may know the tennis player, Marty Fish. Has anybody ever heard of Marty Fish? Marty Fish was, uh, was one of the greatest tennis players in the United States. In fact, he was in, in, in 2010, 2011, he was ranked number one tennis player in the United States, number seven in the world. He was, I mean, he just was just destroying everybody, just amazing tennis player. And he was rising, his career was rising, 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 rising. But he had been trained in a school of thought called never show your weakness. That was the school of thought where he was trained. Everybody that taught him as a young man said, do not reveal your weakness. Don't let them see you sweat. Don't let them know that you're weak. Don't ever let anybody know any of your weaknesses. And Marty Fish took this not only from the tennis court, but he incorporated it into his whole life. And he never revealed any of the weaknesses or vulnerabilities that he had as a human being or as a man. He just held it all in. Wouldn't let anybody see it. And what people didn't know, because he never revealed it, is that Marty Fish suffered from a severe anxiety disorder. And it just began to grow and grow and grow over the years. He would have these overwhelming thoughts, distorted, exaggerated, negative thoughts that would just invade his mind. But he couldn't tell anybody because he never wanted to reveal his weakness. He never wanted to expose his vulnerability. He never wanted the light of truth to shine into his soul so people could see what was going on. He didn't want to do it. And for a long time, for many years, he was able to separate on the court from off the court. 
And so these thoughts would invade his life, but then he would step on the court and his mind would be clear. And he just kept rising through the ranks. But over time, the thoughts began to invade him on the court. And he started to suffer. And in the 2012, he's at the apex of his career. He is, he's actually in the fourth round of the U.S. Open. He's getting ready to play Roger Federer, number two in the world. He's number seven in the world, first in the United States. He's getting ready to play Roger Federer, number two in the world. This is his moment. This is what he's trained for since he was 14 years old. This is the moment where he gets to show the world how great he is. But before he steps on the court, the thoughts begin to invade his mind. And he has to withdraw from the match. And he retires at the apex of his career. Why? Because he would not reveal his weakness. And by not revealing his weakness, he could not get help for his weakness. By not being vulnerable, he could not get the light of truth to shine in his life. And so he rises to the moment of his greatest success, and it becomes the greatest crisis in his life. These are the consequences. These are the consequences of concealment. So then the question for you and me becomes, man, I, I, I don't want this to happen in my life. I don't want these consequences because the, the truth is it's not only you it affects. It's the people around you that are affected by your concealment. Personal hazards can have interpersonal consequences. This means that the hazards that you experience in your own heart and in your own life, they are felt by the people that you love, your children, your friends, your family members, your kids, the other people in your life, they're felt by them. So the question for us becomes, okay, what do we do? How do we not go down this path? How do we not have the darkness, the, the hazards concealed in our soul? How do we change that? And this is where Christmas comes in. So some of you have probably been wondering, hey, I thought this was going to be a Christmas series. Where's, uh, where's the camels and the stuff, you know? But the truth is this. Christmas is not just about a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. It's not just about the angels and the star. It's not just about, you know, the sheep and the goats and the cows and all of that. It is about that. But it's about something much bigger than that. Because the picture of Christmas, the image of Christmas, the meaning of Christmas is that light is invading the darkness of all mankind. That's what Christmas is. Christmas means the light of God, the light of peace, the light of joy, the light of love is invading the darkness of human souls, the darkness of human hearts, the darkness of the world, and shining light on the hazards so that the, so that the hazards can not only be revealed, but there can be a remedy and they can be recovered. This is what Christmas means. A lot of times when we are thinking about Christmas, we go to Matthew or Mark or Luke because they give this very awesome description, and we'll go to those throughout this next few weeks. But I want to open this Christmas series in the book of John, because here's how the book of John describes the very first Christmas. You've heard these words before. John 1, verse 1 through 5. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So right out of the gate, we realize who is Christ. Christ was with God, and Christ was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And then here's the part I want you to get. It says, in him was life. And that life, watch this, was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 9 says, the true light that gives light to everybody. Who's light for? Who is the light for? 
Everybody, everyone was coming into the world. This is the description of the very first Christmas. That the birth of Jesus was the invasion of light into darkness. This is the very first Christmas. This means that suddenly in the darkness of our souls, in the darkness of of our hearts, in the darkness of the world, a light is shining. And the question is, are we going to open our hearts to the light? Will we receive the light? Will we let the light shine in? Because when we do, here's what happens. Number one, the light brings clarity and confusion. Clarity and confusion. Suddenly things become clear when the light shines on it. I love the story in the Gospels of Jesus healing the blind man. One of the most beautiful stories in the Scripture. Jesus comes to a blind man, and the man cannot see, and Jesus takes him out of the town, Bethsaida. He takes him out of the village, and, he's, and, he, and, he, and he spits in the mud and the dirt, and he makes mud, and he begins to put it on the man's eyes. And he says to the man, he says, can you see? And there's this great moment because the man goes, I see, but it's like, The people, I see people, but they look like trees. In other words, I see, but I don't see clearly. I see, but I'm still confused. And Jesus says, let me spend a little more time with you. And Jesus spends a little more time with the man healing him. And then he says again, are you you able to see? And suddenly the scripture says, he began to see clearly. What does this mean? This means the more time you spend with the light, the more clearly you begin to see. The more time you begin to spend with Jesus, the more clearly things become. The confusion that you're experiencing in your life gets cleared up when you allow the light to shine in. You get to see things that you've never seen before. You get to understand things about yourself, about the world around you, about the people around you, about everything. You begin to understand because there's clarity in confusion when you allow the light in. The second thing we experience is freedom and bondage. The light brings freedom in the midst of bondage. I'm reading a book right now that I was reading in college. I read it in college, and for whatever reason, I said I'm going to read it again. It's called Crime and Punishment by Fyodor Dostoevsky. Has anybody ever read that? Please don't read that. It's so depressing. It is just so. (laughs) But now I'm like 92% through the book. i got to finish it. But the book is about a man who commits a crime. And I don't want to spoiler alert this if any of you are planning to read it. But it is 150 years old, so if you haven't read it by now, that's completely on you. So I'm going to tell exactly what happened. So, <laughs> um, so the man commits a crime. And suddenly you, you Raskolnikov, suddenly you, you are in his mind. This is one of the very first, like, psych, psychological thrillers. And you're in his mind, Dostoevsky, kind of, and everything begins to cramp down on this guy. And suddenly he's captive. He could just run away, but he's captive by his own guilt and by his own shame and by his own pride and by his own fear. And throughout the book, the, the main thing that is oppressing him is, is that he's concealing the hazard in his soul. And so finally, there's a scene where he opens up and he confesses what happened. And then just this incredible experience of freedom washes over him. Even though he's got to pay the consequences for what he did, he's liberated. He's absolutely freed. Why? Because he let the light shine in. You see, that the, the scripture says this. Jesus says, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. John 8, 32. You will know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. The light brings liberty and bondage. And this is the last one. The light brings healing in brokenness. The light brings healing in the midst of brokenness. After Marty Fish retired from tennis, 
after he had the crisis and dropped out from the match against Roger Federer, after the whole world went like, what happened to this guy? His coach comes to him and he says, man, I, I feel like you're experiencing something that I know about because the, the coach had also in his youth experienced some pretty severe depression and anxiety. And so the coach comes to him and he goes, man, I, I, this might be what it is. Well, the crisis led Marty Fish to go, okay, I just need help. And he began to open up and he began to get help. And he began to get strength and he began to reach out and get professional care. And, and over time, he began to emerge. He began to get his feet back under him. He began to heal. He began to get restored. Now, Marty Fish began to play tennis again. Now, Marty Fish is the coach of the U.S. Men's Davis Cup team. He's at one of the highest levels you can be in the sport of tennis. And you know what he teaches his team? You know what he teaches his men? He teaches them, show your weakness. He says, let the light shine in. Let the vulnerability happen. Open your heart and let the light of truth shine in your heart. Be transformed because it is through the light that we find healing. What I want to challenge us to do over the next few weeks is I want us as a church, I want to urge you, challenge you, beg you, let the light shine in. Let the light of God's love and peace and truth and, 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 and glory shine in to the darkest corners of your life. I can tell you where to start. The thing that you want least to be known about you, start there. Let the light shine on that. Let the light begin to invade the very recesses, the dark corners of your soul. And watch how you begin to experience freedom and clarity and healing when you let the light shine in. How do we do it? Last bit right here. Ready? Number one, admit to self. You can't, you can't heal it if you won't own it. If you don't own it, you can't heal it. If you won't admit it to yourself, you can't even begin the process of transformation and healing. That's number one. Number two, confess to someone. Everybody doesn't need to know your stuff, but somebody needs to know your stuff. You don't need to tell everybody your stuff, but you need to tell somebody your stuff, right? It's only through confession that we begin to get healed. The third one is this, repent to God. Go to God and go, hey, I just, I've got stuff in my heart, right? He already knows, by the way. Spoiler alert. He already knows. You're like Adam hiding behind a bush. He goes, I made the bush. Okay, I can see behind the bush, in between the bush. I see, I see it all through the bush, okay? He already knows. So go to God and go, God, I, I, need, I need your help. I need your help. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us and make us righteous in him. Here's the thing. The hazards that we are holding on to, we're holding on to them because somehow we believe that they are us. And we don't want them to be revealed because we don't want other people or God or ourselves to think, oh, how bad of a person I am or how wrong of a person I am. But God says that's actually not who you are. It's something that was done to you or something that you did, but it does not identify you. In fact, how does God identify us? Listen to this last scripture, 1 Peter 2. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are God's 
special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's who you are. So as we close, I want to invite you to let the light shine in. I want to invite you I want to invite you in this moment to invite the light of the world into the darkness of your soul. Some of you have been Christians for a long time. Some of you are brand new to the faith. Some of you are here today and you're not even sure. You didn't even know you were sick. And something about this message says, ah, there's a hazard in my soul. And I need the light of God's truth to shine into the darkness of my soul. Today, I want to invite you to invite the light of Christ into your heart. I want to invite you to open your heart and say, God, shine inside of me. Shine the light of your peace, the light of your love, the light of your truth, the light of your joy into the darkness of my soul. The things that have have been done to me, the things that I have done, the things that I don't want anybody to know about, the things that I have hidden, the things that I have concealed. God, open my heart and let your light shine in. If you're not a believer, I want you to pray this prayer. But even if you are a believer, I want you to pray this prayer. Let's pray together. God, we open our hearts to your light. We ask that your light would penetrate the darkness of our soul. We ask that the light of truth and the light of love, the light of peace and joy, the light of redemption and hope would shine through the darkness, pierce the very darkness and the concealment in our souls. And Lord, I just pray, Father, that the light would shine in. Bring healing. Bring clarity. Bring hope. Bring freedom. Bring liberty into our souls. Father, we put our trust in you. The scripture says, if you believe on him in your heart and confess him with your mouth, you'll be saved. Father, we confess with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord. We confess that he is the light of the world that has come to bring the light to all mankind. We confess today that, and we believe in our heart of hearts. We put our trust in you. And we ask, oh Lord God, that you would be with us today. Let your light shine in. We love you. We trust you. We praise you. We submit to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen, amen. If you prayed that prayer today, I want to invite you to take a moment, fill out a connection card. There, there should be a connection card in the seat back in front of you. Take a moment, fill that out, and on your way out, put that in a basket, and um, we'll reach out to you. We will help you walk down this path of light. We'll help you walk this Christmas into the brighter and brighter and brighter reality of God's truth and God's love and God's joy. So we invite you to do that. If you're here today and you need prayer, we're going to have some members of our prayer team come right across the front in just a few moments. And if you want to come before the Lord and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, 
and you want to say, God, I just need the light in my life, we'll have some members of our prayer team standing right across the front during our last song. If this is your church home and you want to help us spread the light across this city and across this region and across this world, we invite you to give. As the year ends, we invite you to participate in generosity and be the light by spreading the gospel through your financial partnership. We have ministry partners at both locations that you can meet out in the lobbies, and we just invite you to to meet them and get to see where your finances are going and where your generosity is going as we are spreading the light of Christ around the world. Would you all just stand with me as we close this morning? I just pray that the light of God's truth would shine in your heart. I pray that the light of God's truth would shine in your home. I pray the light of God's truth would shine in your families. I pray the light of God's truth would shine in your heart. Let's open our hearts today and worship the God of light.